so um, every time I've been here, there's been something with Sunday school that ties directly into what I had prepared to preach. And then usually there's something with the music too. So this morning I got, I was on my way here and I was singing, um, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I got here and I looked at the bulletin and I was like, man, I, I love it when God coordinates things like that. Um, I want to start, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. We're still in Philippians 1 whenever I'm here. So if you can turn there and have your place just ready. And I want to share with you a conversation that popped up in my Facebook memories from about a year ago. And I did ask permission to share this. From, I asked my son if it was okay that I shared this with you. So um, I was, we were at the dinner table in February last year, and um, I was having a conversation with my middle child, my one of our daughters, and um, I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but I do remember near the end of our conversation thinking, this young lady is going to think that her daddy is pretty cool. <laughs> and so I said to her, you know, I didn't always used to be this cool. And Moses said, you're not cool now, so how uncool were you before? <laughs> and I don't remember inviting him into the conversation to share his commentary, but we, as humans, we love to have, we love to make much of ourselves, don't we? We love to think that we're pretty special. Um, we love to have our egos built up. And... What we're going to look at today is a part of Philippians chapter 1 where, where Paul, Paul says, basically, I don't, want, I don't want anything in my life, I don't want anything, any part of my life to be about anything except making much of who Christ is. Like, I just want to make him great in everything that I do. And so, if you will turn there, and I think this text that we're going to look at today, starting in 18b, if you, if you, if we really understand it, I think it can be a life-changing text for us. Um, and it's not something that is easy to do necessarily, but it is, it's, a, it's an understanding of who Christ is and how he affects our lives that should alter everything about our lives. So um, I'm going to give you a, a, just a real quick uh, review of the context from the text before that I used when I was here the last time, and then we'll get into the text in 18. So leading up to this, Paul has been saying there are people who are preaching, I'm in chains, there are people who are preaching Christ, some of them are doing it out of a selfish reason, and they're hoping that by what they're doing, they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in my chains. But Paul's mindset is one that says, what, what does that matter? I don't, I don't care if they're trying to stir up trouble for me. That doesn't bother me because what's important is that Christ is being preached. They are proclaiming the gospel. They're advancing the gospel, and that's the most important thing to me. So Paul says, so what does it matter? Because Christ is preached, and therefore I will rejoice. Then we're going to get into our text, and if you are able to, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word, as we look at the text we're going to take a look at today together. 
So he just said, and because of this, I will rejoice because Christ is preached. And, he, and then he says in 18b, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I'm torn between the two, a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and um, God, help us to be humble. Help us to handle your word with accuracy and faithfulness. And as we look at this text, this is a really important text. And as we look at this, God, I pray that your spirit would do the necessary work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, so that we want to, with everything that we do, we want to make much of who you are, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So this is a key text in Paul's theology um, of life. Paul's explaining something here that I think helps us put all of life into perspective. Verses 20 and 21, I think, can be life-altering verses um, that will leave us forever changed. But I'm going I'm to give you some context and set the stage with something we learned in 22 through 24 uh, before we really dig in. And so 22 to 24 is where Paul says, I am going, if I'm going, sorry, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So, Paul is, um, I know we, one of the things that we were talking about was looking at the different versions of the Bible that people use. Um, if anybody in here uses an, a New American Standard Bible, the word that Paul uses here is that he says he is hard-pressed. And so you've got a word in your Bible, whatever version you're using, that, that they translate for that. But it's this, it's this tension that is going on in Paul's life. This, he's hard-pressed between remaining in the body and departing to be with Christ. So it's not a situation where you've got a good option and a bad option. So we're not talking about something like we're waiting for test results to come back to find out if something is cancer or if, some, if we're healthy. It's not that situation, nor is it a situation where you have two bad options and you just 
have to hope for the lesser of two evils. It's a situation where both options are good. Both options have major benefits. Both options are glorifying to God. So the two potential outcomes for Paul are to remain here on earth, which means fruitful labor for him, which we've been talking, I've been talking with you as we go through Philippians, the point of the book and the point of Paul's life is to advance the gospel. And so if he remains, he will be advancing the gospel further on this, on this earth. And the other potential outcome is a departing from this world to be with Christ, which then he receives his eternal reward. So we have two possible outcomes that are both good, and so then we come to the central point of the, this portion of the letter, which is 20 and 21, where he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He will be exalted in everything about me, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, if I live, I will exalt Christ. If I die, I will exalt Christ. And I think, oh man, if we could have that heavenly perspective in life, right? If, if every, like, I don't know about you, but I don't know of anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, God, uh, all I want to do is exalt you even if today's the day I die. I mean, we don't tend to think about when we wake up in the morning that today could be the day that we die, right? But Paul knew any day he was in chains and he knew any day there could be a verdict that came down and he could be put to death. And Paul says, if I'm allowed to live, I am going to I'm going to exalt Christ, and if I die today, I'm going to exalt him in my death. So let's look at first how he exalts uh, Christ in his life. And I just want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. Um, Maybe this is something you've thought about before, but what is worship? If you were to define it, think about the things that you think are essential to worship. And I'm going to give you my definition of it, and this is by no means the best definition out there. This is just my ability to summarize what I think worship is in a, in a way that's simplistic enough to understand it and remember it, but also complex enough to include everything that comes with it. Um, worship, I think, is our response to God because of what he's done through Christ on the cross, and at the empty tomb. Worship is our response to God because of what he's done through Christ on the cross and at the empty tomb. And I define it that way because that means all of our life. Every part of our life should be worship. Our entire life should be fully consumed with Christ. There shouldn't be a single detail of our life that is lived apart from Christ. One of the things we were talking about in Sunday school is, um, you know, we have commands like pray without ceasing. You know, can we, do we pray 
nonstop every day of our life, or we are to we are to be joyful in all things. Are we joyful every moment of every day of every week of every month of our life? And so, what Paul is saying here is, your whole life, whether or not you pray unstopping for years and years and years, or you pray throughout your day, or you make sure that you carve out time with God, whatever it is, however you do it, every detail of your life should be consumed with Him. It should affect the way you live and everything that you do. And so, I, the Apostle Paul, I think, is an example of someone who allowed Christ to touch every minute detail and so Paul can say, I, I want to exalt Christ in my life and in my death. From the very moment that he gave his life to Christ to the moment that his life on this earth ended, Paul was consumed, all consumed with Christ. I want to, uh, so, so let me just remind you, he's in prison, he's bound, he's in chains, He's uncertain as to whether or not he's going to be physically delivered, meaning like released and allowed to go free. He doesn't know if he's going to be delivered in the sense that he will be granted life, but maybe remain in chains. And he doesn't know if the deliverance that God's going to offer could be he will be put to death and he will be delivered from this fallen, broken world of sin. Um, so he's in prison and he's chained and, and he's got this uncertainty going on in his mind. He just knows that God is going to deliver him somehow. And he makes known to the Philippians that if he is granted life, then Christ is going to be the, the only thing on his heart and mind and he's going to continue to push forth the gospel. He will rejoice for the opportunity to exalt Christ um, another day, however many days that he's granted life. Now, referring to this text, I'm going to share with you here, and then when we get into the second point, a little bit of what Charles Spurgeon said concerning this text. Charles Spurgeon, referring to this, said, if he lived, he lived to know more of Christ, studying his person and learning his happy experience so that he increased in his knowledge of his Lord and Savior. If he lived, he lived to imitate Christ more closely, becoming more and more conformed to his image. If he lived, he lived to make Christ more and more known to others and to enjoy Christ more himself. And that is chains or no chains. If Paul is still in chains, that's not going to change how he lives his life. If he's released and, he, and they let him go free, he will have a little more freedom to be able to go where he wants to go and work with churches. But he will still, even if, even if he's granted life but remains in chains, Paul is still going to shepherd the flock through letters, through um, anybody who might come to visit him and spend some time with him and give him provisions. Um, He's going to continue to push forth the gospel with anybody, um, whatever unfortunate soul had to guard him, because somebody had to be with him all the time. And they, did, Paul had an audience, and they they had no choice; they had to listen to him. So Paul knows if I remain in chains, there's at least going to be somebody 
that I can preach to. Um, and so whatever, Paul, whatever Paul's situation, he's going to find some way to exalt Christ and to advance the gospel. Chains or no chains. Now, the previous text that I preached last time I was here, um, we talked about how you cannot bind up the Word of God. So Paul is in chains, and he's telling the Philippian church, don't worry about the fact that I'm, that I'm in prison. Uh, actually, it's served to advance the gospel. And so we talked about how you can't bind up the Word of God. And just the same, Paul's chains are not going to hinder the advancement of the gospel for, for his situation. He's going, to, uh, he's going to preach, he's going to proclaim, he's going to shepherd, he's going to do whatever he has to do. He's going to worship Christ for all who are around to witness. And, and so his whole life is going to be all consumed with Christ. His chains are not going to prevent him from running after Christ in hot pursuit. So our lives should be an absolute surrender, right? We're supposed to, we're supposed to, um, we're supposed to let go of everything and let God have complete control of our life, right? An absolute surrender makes less of myself and makes more of Christ. And when I think of that idea, that concept of making less of myself and more of Christ, I, my mind goes to John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, I'll give you a little bit of context. John the Baptist has been baptizing people. Jesus has now come on the scene, and Jesus starts baptizing people. And John's disciples come to him and say, Teacher, the man you told us about, he's baptizing too, and now everybody's running to him. And John says, basically, it's okay. I've been given a specific role, and it's not as great as his. And so John says in chapter 3, or John the Baptist says in John chapter 3, verse 30, about Jesus, he says, he must become greater. I must become less. Some some Bibles say he must increase and I must decrease. An absolute surrender lets go of everything that our pride might want to hold on to, makes our life secondary and makes Christ primary. And it shares the gospel with anyone who God brings across your path. So we worship him. When we talk about worship, we talk about how that is a complete surrender of everything. It's, a, it's, a, it's our response to what God has done in Christ. We worship him when we count him as the greatest value of our lives. That means compared to him, everything else is like rubbish. In chapter 3 of Philippians, if you'll flip to chapter 3 real quickly with me, um, we covered this the very first time I was here, and I told you the second time I was here, I didn't know I was going to be asked to come back. So 
I'm go, I went slightly out of order, but in chapter 3, one of the things that we talked about was verse 8. And verse 8 says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now listen to what he said there at the end. I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Why? That I may gain Christ. There are two places in this letter where he talks about gaining something. One is chapter 1 and one is chapter 3. Paul tells the church here in chapter 3 that Christ is gain in our living if we count everything as loss in comparison to his value. So worship is making Christ great, great with your whole life, greater than anything else that you might, that you might experience in this life. When we get to the end, um, we'll, we'll do some application, and I'll just ask you some questions on how much do you value Christ compared to different things in your life? But Paul says, Christ is gain in your living, in your life, if everything else that you have or you experience, you, you consider that complete rubbish compared to his value. So let's look now at how Christ is exalted in Paul's death as we move to the second point. And I'm going to just re, uh, read again verse 21. He says, For me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. The key to exalting Christ in his life is Paul's understanding that dying is also gain. So in verse 3, he says, Consider everything rubbish that I may gain Christ, and that's in life. In verse 1, he says, If if I live, I live to Christ. If I die, it is gain for me. I gain Christ in my death. And so the key to exalting Christ in his life is Paul's understanding that dying is gain. Dying means gaining instant, personal, and physical access to Christ. Now, again, discussing this verse, let me go back to what Charles Spurgeon was, what he continued to say. He said, it, will be, it would be gained to him, for then he would no longer be tossed upon the stormy sea, but he'd be safe upon the land whither he was bound. It would be gained to him, for then he would be free from all temptations, both from within and from without. And we talked about in Sunday school how Paul had this battle inside him. What I want to do, I do not do. What I don't want to do, that I do. Paul had this tension in him, and so Charles Spurgeon says, if he dies, if, if God brings death, Paul's death and the end of his life on this earth, he's ushered into his reward, and he is no longer battling the temptations both inside him and those that come from without. It would be gained to him, for then he would be delivered from all his enemies. There would be no more cruel Nero, no blaspheming Jews, no false brethren then. It would be gained to him, for then he would be delivered from all suffering. There would be no more shipwrecks, no more being beaten with rods or being stoned. 
for him then. And it would be gained to him, for he would find in heaven better and more perfect friends than he would leave behind on earth. And he would find, above all, his Savior and be a partaker of his glory. So Paul says to die is actually the greatest gain. John Piper said, Christ is magnified in your death to the degree that you find him gain in your death. Let me say that again. Christ is magnified in your death to the degree that you find him gain in your death. If you count everything in this life as rubbish, then there's nothing so great that you should want to hold on to it. We can't take it with us anyway, can we? How many people have been to a funeral where people, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing necessarily, but I'm just, something we do. How many people have been to a funeral where they put things that were important to the person in the casket with them that are going to be, so they'll be buried with them? Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Those are things that were special to that person, and that's fine. But it's not like we put them in there because those are going to go with us, right? We put them in there because they were something that represented their life while they're on earth. So, if we can't take it with us, then why not consider everything rubbish um, and not worth trying to hold on to and run the risk of placing its value higher than Christ? If it's garbage compared to the value of Christ, then dying would be absolute gain because that which is of the greatest value in all of this world awaits us upon our death. So when a believer passes from this life into eternity, he or she um, would instant, they instantly know the embrace of the Savior And that's why the psalmist in Psalm 116, I'm going to read this to you. You can turn there if you want. Psalm 116. We're going to look at verse 15. Psalm 116, 15. The psalmist writes, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of, some, some versions say, the death of his saints. That's why the psalmist can say that, because when a believer passes from this broken world into a eternity, they're greeted by Christ, they're embraced by Christ with, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And they know that for all of eternity, they get to share in his glory, And that's why Paul tells the Philippian church that he's hard-pressed between these two things. He desires to reign in the body, which means kingdom ministry, and that's a benefit for the the church. But he's hard-pressed between that and desiring his desire to depart and be with Christ, which is so much better, but both God-honoring options. He's hard-pressed because they're both good. And both are good because Paul's understanding is that to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Now, as we wrap up and I get ready to ask you some questions to apply things to life, I just want to share one more thing with you. Um, the, at the time of Charles Spurgeon, there was an organization called the American Baptist Missionary Union. Um, and they took, at that time, they took an emblem for their group. And the emblem had an ox who was standing, standing this way, and in front of him was a plow, and behind him, so he's in front of an altar. And so I titled my sermon, Service or Altar, Ready for Either, because their motto was, Ready for Either. I'm ready to serve and to be spent in service, or I'm, you know, with the plow and the work, or I'm ready to be offered as a sacrifice on the altar for the Lord. So, whatever one the Lord chooses is going to determine how Christ is glorified, either in your life or by your death. But this is where Paul found himself as he writes this letter to the Philippian church. And this is where each one of us, I think, should find ourselves each day. And I'm, because of some conviction through this text, um, I'm going to try to start like every day waking up, recognizing I either have life awaiting me or I have death awaiting me this day, but God, help me to be ready for either one. May Christ be exalted in my life and exalted in my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if dying is to be gained for us, we must first gain Christ in this life. If we're going to gain Christ in this life, we must first consider all things in this world that it has to offer as worthless compared to his surpassing value and worth. The only way that we can do that because of our sin nature, the only way that we can do that is to ask God to make our desire for Christ stronger than our desire for anything else. But let me ask you these questions just to stir in your mind to think about Christ's value in your life. Does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your own life? Would you be willing to lay down your life for him if he called you to? Does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your marriage and family if you have a marriage and family? Um, does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your job or your career? If God called you to quit your job today to do something different for him would you be is Christ's value so high in your life that you'd be willing to trust him and leave that which is comfortable and that which provides to follow him in faith does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your ministry ministry is important it's got to be done we're called to do it it glorifies God but ministry can sometimes take the place of Christ in our life? Does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your relationships? Does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your standing in the community? Sometimes we have a reputation in the community and we need to make sure that that reputation is being driven by Christ-exalting behavior. 
Does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your money? Are you willing to give up this thing that is so important to live in order to offer it as a sacrifice? Because God calls us to sacrifice, and King David says, I'm not going to offer something to him that doesn't that costs me nothing. I'm not going to give God a sacrifice, call it a sacrifice when somebody else gave it to me to offer to him. And so do we value Christ over our money? Does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your house or other possessions you might have? All the things that we use for entertainment, we have all kinds of electronics we like to kill our brain cells with, right? And um, because it's fun. And I'll be the first one to admit there's been too many nights in my life that I've stayed up till two or three o'clock in the morning just playing a video game because I'm determined I'm going to beat it. Um, this, and that probably wasn't honoring to God because I didn't get any sleep that night. So does Christ's value surpass the value you put on your education? Does it surpass the value you put on Anything you spend your free time in. Is Christ's value in your heart and mind the greatest thing in your life? And this is not an exhaustive list, but think hard on these things because these things can become the idols that we set up on the front of our heart, right? We can replace God as the king on the throne in our heart and put any of these things or anything in life in his place. But the sooner we dethrone those idols and allow Christ to become our everything in life, the sooner we can declare with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. God, we thank you that um, you don't give up on us. And we, we are constantly setting up idols in our hearts that take the place that only should be occupied by you. But you don't leave us in that state. You are continually working by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Um, You're continually sanctifying us every day. And God, we are so grateful because if you didn't do that, we would have no relationship with you at all. We are like sheep that go astray all the time. We run after the things that we want. We like to make much of ourselves in in this life. We like to have our egos built up. We like to feel important. And it's not, it's not a bad thing to be important. I mean, you call us to important roles in ministry in your kingdom. So it's not a bad thing to be important. But the moment that that becomes a prideful thing that takes the place of you, we have begun to worship an idol. And Paul tells us in this short text that we if we are going to if we're going to gain you in death we have to gain you in life first and gaining you in life means that nothing compares to you in our lives that's a hard thing god because of our sinful nature that is a hard thing Our flesh battles us every day. And so, God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would make us hate 
sin and hate idolatry and hate anything that is not of you and to make Christ everything in our lives, to make much of him, to make his name great. May the goal of our life be to make him great in this world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.